The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 124. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery third season premiere, That Hope Is You, part one. In... Also known as Getting the Band Back Together, part one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Andromeda redu- Redone. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, well, I'll come up with other other uh, uh, fun names in a sec. But uh, first, joining me today on the panel, as always, are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Good, good. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, how's it going? Very well, thanks. Uh, first, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and share the show with your followers there. And be sure to leave us comments and let us know what you think of the of our discussion and of the show. Uh, yeah, so we are back in Star Trek Discovery new episodes. This is the first new episode of Star Trek Discovery in more than a year. Uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to believe, but yeah, it's been more than a year since the, the finale of season two. And we are back. We uh, have moved on from the last last season, which ended with the Discovery and Burnham separately jumping through a wormhole. Uh, we, we should probably recap a little how season two ended, because that's kind of important. So there was a rogue AI called Control that was really hot on getting its little tentacle claws on this data that the Discovery had gotten from an alien sphere. And in every scenario where Control gets that data, all organic life in the galaxy dies. And Mm -hmm. so after that became apparent to them, it was concluded the only way to save all the things is to uh, take that sphere data out of our time. They can't just blow up Discovery for reasons. So they are going to take Discovery out of our time till after a control is no longer a threat so that some future generation can deal with their version of control and the extinction of all life. (laughs) And so using the Red Angel suit, uh, Burnham opened a wormhole and flew through it, and then Discovery followed her. Right. Okay. The end. That's that's a perfect recap. That brings us right into this. This episode starts not with the Burnham coming through the wormhole, but it's kind of an interesting start. It starts with this man, we'll find out his name is. Ad- it starts with a bird. Bird with a clock on it. Little little holographic bird with a clock on it. Yeah, I, I love, love that. that. I love. I want one of those for an alarm <laughs> clock. That's actually kind of cool. See, I was gonna say I don't know if I'd want that for an alarm clock because it would annoy me just the chirping of the bird in general. Well, but... I have to say, uh, my wife Melanie, that's her alarm clock sound is chirping birds on her iPhone. So hmm. I would it would be no different for me. Uh, so uh, he he's, we see him 
it's reminiscent of um, 2001. Oh, yeah, that also it's reminiscent of the opening sequence in the miniseries Battlestar Galactica, where you've got the one guy going through his daily routine on a remote station. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, But it's all. Yeah, I was I was thinking it's reminiscent of the of. The end of yeah. 2001, we have this very spare, sparse room, you, uh, this guy going through a routine every day, no no dialogue. And uh, you have this, it's obviously much more futuristic than Discovery's time or even the TNG mm-hmm. time because all yeah. the furniture is made of... Uh, utility prob- fog. Ex- utility yeah. fog, ex- exactly. Or a sort of <laughs> nano thing. I like that they've imagined a future tech that's mm-hmm. even more future. I, I kinda, I'm yep. kind of happy with that. Um, and, uh, he has, we, we end that sequence with him sitting at his desk with a box with a Starfleet symbol on it. And he's looking at a holographic image of waiting, searching for signals, this, this map of the galaxy searching for signals. And that's how that ends. We don't get an explanation at this point. Uh, then we, and, and then from his incredibly sparse internal environment, we are slap dab in the middle of a ridiculous space debris field again. <laughs> yep. Right. Uh, with a, a, a hull of some ship. It was a Starfleet ship, NCC something or other uh, debris yep. floating around. And you have two ships, one running from the other, one, one shooting at the other. You have Cleveland Booker is the pilot of, the, of our hero ship, shall we say, uh, where it, he's being chased by uh, an orc from the Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Clearly inspired by one yeah. of those characters uh, and uh, being accused of stealing cargo from you know, Booker is being st- is accused of stealing cargo. We actually have seen the other alien race before in Star Trek. They show up in Deep Space Nine, for example. I forget their name, but we have seen them. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll have to look that up afterward. So uh, a wormhole opens up. Uh, Burnham comes flying out in her suit. She crashes into Booker's ship, (laughs) and they both plummet out of control toward the surface. Because there is no space in space, so collisions are just inevitable. Well, and like... Everything is within like a couple of feet of everything else, because like it takes no time at all for them to go from orbit to surface. Like everything just happens right. so quickly in space. Well, of course, there's the you know it gets the warning of the you know the space time uh, anomaly, and instead of like going away from it, <laughs> he, goes, he keeps steering towards it. Right, right. I do. I did think that we had interesting ship designs here. And yeah. Normally, I don't care care too much about ship designs, but for once, it's something other than a saucer with warp engines. You know, yeah. which even came even Klingon D sevens look kind of. You got a little blobby thing, and then you got a section with two nacelles. Here, yeah. the guy has like a flying egg beater centrifuge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we find we get an explanation for why the ships look so different is because the technology for the, is is going to be all different. We'll, we'll deal with that in a sec. But uh, but yeah, I do like the designs of both of these ships. Um, she so Burnham has to reboot the suit. Gosh, I mean, I I've sat there waiting for my computer to reboot and thought it took forever. If I were plummeting to Earth <laughs> while it's rebooting, <laughs> it does really bring new new meaning to the term of computer crash. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because the suit's defensive capabilities are not functioning and she's going to die because yes. the suit tells her fatal yep. impact imminent. Yes. And so it's like and for and uh, Sonequa Martin-Green really sells the computer emergency system reboot line really well. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Well, so let's the talk. Panic. Let's talk about Michael Burnham in this episode, sort of in the in the the, the overall sense, because I, I really she gets mm-hmm. to. 
she gets to act for once. I yeah. I finally like Burnham as a character. Yeah. She's yes. she's no longer stiff and very v- half Vulcanish and all this other stuff. In this episode, she really has a range of emotions and she becomes likable as yeah. a character. Yeah, the, I, I wrote down. I wrote down. You know, they really downplayed her. Downplayed her Vulcan upbringing. Right, and it's like finally, yeah, finally. you know, she's she's actually being human. And she and it starts early on. I mean, we have the the first emotion she gets to express for us is panic. Yes, and and that works well. And then when she survives the crash, she gets out and she's talking to the to the angel suit, and uh, it's she's like, "Scan for life. Is there life here anywhere?" And the suit says multiple life forms confirmed. And she's like, yes, right. Because at that moment, she knows they completed their mission. They got the sphere data away from the rogue AI and the galaxy got to live for at least another 900 years and until the problem replicates all over again, because you haven't really <laughs> dealt with it. Yes. And um, and so we see that. And then she kind of reverts a little bit because book attacks her out he's like mr attack people for no reason yeah um Mm -hmm. he's got some kind of cargo he's really keen on and he thinks she wants it and just assumes she's trying to get it from him even though she crashed into him in space and came in coming out of a time anomaly and and so they fight and she gets to be a little more starfleet it's like way hey i'm not fighting you blah 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 but of course she has to because that's a meaningless starfleet ideology if someone's Mm -hmm. attacking you you do fight them back um but and but then when they as we'll get into she they go to this spaceport and she gets sprayed with some stuff yeah and they never and I like the fact they never even give us a technobabble name for the stuff yep. that she's sprayed yeah. with. Book at one point just notices she's different and says, They sprayed you with that stuff, didn't they? And she's like, Yep. And <laughs> and 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 what the stuff does is make it's like a truth serum, but it makes her emotionally uninhibited and supportive of what other people want her to do. Right. And so she gets to cut loose and become a happy, comical, conflicted character. And it's yeah. like, I saved all the things. <laughs> yeah. That is a great well, line. <laughs> I, I love the line where she goes, I've got a friend with red hair you really don't want to give this to. Yes. Tilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it turns you into Tilly. So if Tilly were to take it, oh, forget it. It would be all over. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also like she, uh, at one point, they're trying to find out what, uh, what books cargo is and she mm-hmm. says well it's temperature sensitive and really valuable so it's probably ice cream there's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a few really good lines there so well, and they did some really they did some fun stuff with the camera too where you know the the, the focus is different and the, the 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 motion and everything is a little different and it really again it kind of sells that she's just high as a kite and bubbly <laughs> yeah. as can be the disorientation so uh, we should mention that it's direct Directed by Alatunde Osunsami. Sunday? Yeah, oh, yeah, who is, uh, who, who did several episodes last season, but also directed the short treks in which we had the discovery a thousand years in the future with, what was his name? Uh, the guy who. Oh, Calypso. Calypso was the name of the episode. Calypso, right, right, right. So it was, it, and that was his name, Calypso. Uh, so he, he, it's interesting that mm-hmm. he directed this season premiere as well. Uh, 
I, I don't think Calypso was his name. Well, uh, no, that wasn't his name, but Calypso, Calypso was, the, was the name, name of the, of the episode. episode. Okay. I'm trying to remember what his name was. And, 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 and they had, uh, well, they, he didn't, uh, Ulysses, I think, was the name he used, but he is, they established there, there's some kind of name taboo. It's like ancient Egypt mm-hmm. where only your mom knows your real name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To kind of jump back to to where to where we started, we got to close the loop on. She self destructs the suit in the wormhole. Oh yeah, she tells it to go back through the wormhole, detonate the last flare, because she yep. promised Spock she would do that as okay. a sign she survived. So she yep. programs it to go back, detonate the last flare, and then kill itself so that you don't have rogue AIs trying to track you down to get your steel data, st- sphere data. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's why she did it. I was trying to remember why she so- sent the, the suit to be self-destructed, but that's why she did it. Okay. Um, yeah, there th- that scene where she she goes to find, she sees the smoke plume from Booker's uh, mm-hmm. crashed ship. So she goes to find him, and w- that scene where they fight, I like the fact she keeps trying to tell him, my name is, because that's what all Starfleet officers do. I am Commander Michael Burnham of Starfleet, of the USS Discovery. Yep. And he get, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Don't tell me your name. But then he's don't kind care. of like, <laughs> like, who does that? No, no, I don't want to know. Like he's kind of goes back and forth. <laughs> well, I, I I assumed it was because of their name taboo that they had established from Calypso, because he doesn't tell her his name straight out either, even after they start bonding. Um, and when he finally says, and when she's asked him a couple of times, and then he finally says book, and mm-hmm. so okay, mm-hmm. but then later on in the episode, he's talking on a com frequency and he just drops his full name and so i was a little confused it's like wait is this name taboo in place yet or not oh yeah or i never i never even i never even made that connection i just figured like he's like the i just want to get out of here and i don't care who you are i don't care about any of this stuff i just want to go and get my cargo dropped off yeah, you know, it was more of that. Yeah. Just like I'm not getting I'm involved. Got to pay job of the hut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought of that it, with the Calypso thing. I thought that it might have been just Crafts. That was his name. Crafts own yeah. culture, te- te- cultural mm-hmm. taboo wasn't more widespread, but maybe it is. Uh, but uh, he's he. We we find out that his ship uses quantum slipstream uh, instead of dilithium yep. in a warp drive because, uh, well. We find out that the Federation is gone, uh, that there was something called the burn about a century earlier, a day when most of the dilithium in the galaxy exploded. Nobody knew why. I'm going to guess we're going to find out this season, maybe. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Or whether it would happen again. Uh, it, Which, if that happened, that they, they don't come right out and say it, but it would have destroyed Every ship or nearly every ship that did that. And and every civilization, which is mm-hmm. every warp capable civilization, which is um, a nice explanation mm-hmm. for setting up this. So there have been pitches like this before. Yes. For series. Uh, as father, as yeah. father mentioned, Andromeda was a series based on some notes Gene Roddenberry took that was basically. Yep. After the fall of the Federation, you have a ship from the time of the Federation is putting the band back together and rebuilding the Federation. Correct. And there was another one. Brian Singer pitched a series called Star Trek Federation that had that exact plot. Right. And now mm-hmm. they're using it here. And I think it's been pitched other times, too. But they're, they're now using that here. But you need an explanation. You could explain, you know, why has the Federation fallen? 
But mm-hmm. then what did it fall to? Was it something more powerful? And yeah. why is not aren't we living under a galactic tyranny now? Well, it's because mm-hmm. everybody's dilithium went boom. Right. Yeah. And so every warp capable civilization got taken down at once. I, I do think it's kind of interesting, though, with, with you know, uh, the cynicism of the, the uh, Federation, like in Picard, you know, there's a lot of cynicism there of where the Federation is going, that now they've like gone a complete 180 of that. And all of a sudden Burnham is like, rah, rah, Federation, rah, rah, Federation. Well, she, you know, that they've kind of turned that around. Now they've got more right. the, the again, more the idealistic federation of it's all about an ideal and it does. It's not about warp ships and all these things. It's yay federation. Well, I think it, it, the analogy is, is it can a little it's a stretch, but of that of the Roman Empire, you know, that idea of the Roman right. Empire at its height, Pax Romana, uh, the ideals and principles of the empire. And no one could imagine that it could fall and it fell. And then in the, you know, in the Renaissance, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, a thousand years later, you have the people return to this idea of the principles of the empire, the the Roman Empire and the the glory of the empire and this, you know, idealizing it again. Um, so you, yeah. I think that's what they're, they're kind of drawing on that idea of we, you know, she comes from a period of time when the Federation was at its its peak of of its ideals by Picard those that had slipped some and now a thousand years later she's remembering only the best parts of the federation right i I like how book in talking to her about this is like because he's she's wearing her starfleet delta com badge and Mm -hmm. or it's not a com badge yet but she's wearing her delta delta shield Yeah. yeah and and he's like you're wearing one of those things aren't you that means you're one of those crazy you know, Federation <laughs> fanatics. You're a LARPer. Yeah, it's like you're you're one of those Civil War reenactors, aren't you? I mean, you yeah. can't, can't, can't handle that it's gone. And she's the Federation is gone. And she's like, that's impossible. It's like, see what I what did I just say? You can't handle <laughs> yeah. the idea of the Federation is gone. That's impossible. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so he kind of makes her point his point for him. How does this compare to the timeline? Because. He also mentions at some po- at another point about the temporal time, the temporal wars, yeah. the time wars. Yep. How does it compare to the timeline in Enterprise? It actually fits. Um, mm-hmm. The temporal war, the temporal cold war would have been before this. OK. And so that's already had a chance to play out. And apparently the cold war, temporal cold war got temporal hot. And in the wake of that, it was decided to ban all time travel technology. OK, right? OK. I was, that's one thing that came up. I didn't get a chance to check. When, which also is important because it explains why Discovery Discovery's crew can't just drop off the sphere data and go back. Right. Because right. there's no time technology, time travel technology. Yeah, right. Uh, it's it's um to kind of promote a, another YouTube channel, but the certifiably in-game YouTube mm-hmm. channel. He actually just recently put out a video where he goes through all these different timelines from Enterprise to this episode of Discovery to show how it, it really does fit well with okay. all that. Mm-hmm. Also, the blowing up the dilithium is significant as well, because as Star Trek for the search for whales taught us, among mm-hmm. other shows, all you need to time travel is a warp capable ship. Right. And yep. slingshot around a sun. And so. They needed they've actually it's been pretty clever. They've eliminated with dilithium and the end of the time wars between the burn and the end of the time wars. 
they've eliminated the principal routes that the Discovery right. crew could take to get back to their own time. Right. Well, and we should mention, too, that they haven't completely eliminated dilithium, but because so much of it exploded, it's like 90 percent of it exploded. So there's yeah. only like this, these little remnants. You, you'll see there's one scene where Burnham's grabbing just these shards of dilithium from this shop right. that they went to to get more. So, yeah. And dilithium was rare to begin with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so now instead of Voyager, which was lost in space, we have Discovery Season 3, which is lost in time. Mm, that's yep. a good point. So Booker tells Burnham that he is a courier and that in this and they're going to the town of they're on the planet of Heme, uh, Hema, going to the town of Requiem and what he calls the mercantile, which is like a mercantile exchange, which is run by Orions and Andorians. And you have mm-hmm. a hollow buyer. It's like a futuristic eBay. Hollow buyers and sellers make deals and the couriers are paid with just enough to lithium to go make the pickup and drop off. So they're, they're sort of an escrow service, shall we say, mm-hmm. combined with UPS. Yeah, it, it seems that the Orions are the ones who are really running the mercantile, but they're using Andorians as bodyguards yeah. or security. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, there's a there's 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 a head Orion and a head uh Andorian that sort of working together that, that when when they they uh arrest Burnham uh, yeah I, I like after they spray her with the stuff she doesn't behave exactly as they expect and the Orion says to the Andorian have you changed the dosage again <laughs> I told you not to do that <laughs> right there's this, this odd couple there so uh, Burnham is going to the mercantile with with book because she's looking for a subspace transceiver so she can try to contact Discovery. That's the Discovery mm-hmm. didn't come was supposed to come through the wormhole behind her and didn't. So she's trying to find out where they are. So she's going to use her antiques of tricorder, phaser, etc. to trade for uh, uh, currency in order to pay for a subspace call. And book gets her in. And he's she's going to pay book with the tricorder. He betrays her like, oh, yeah, just through this door. That's where the uh, the subspace array is. She walks through. Nope, that's the door to the vault. And she's like in a stasis field and he steals the rest of her stuff from her. So we're getting the sense. And this, we, this is a kind of a low tech stasis field. Yeah. Uh, to me, stasis field means time freeze. Right. And she's not time frozen. She's there's like an, a glowing electronic holographic lasso around her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And. uh so we get this idea that Book is, you know, he's the the rogue, the the Han Solo, the mm-hmm. oh, he so wants to be Han Solo, or or, yeah. or Malcolm Reynolds from some well, from, true, from true. Firefly. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's sort of that character, the lovable rogue, and uh, he's not lovable yet, not yet. <laughs> Sp- speak, speaking of, of Firefly, every time they mention Book, all I could think it was Shepherd Book. I was thinking I know, the same me thing. Too. It's like you name your character Book. Oh, come on, and in, in this in a. <laughs> dystopian fallen sci-fi setting that's you're just asking people to think shepherd book well, especially since both <laughs> characters played by african-american actors so yeah, yeah. It, it yeah <laughs> I, I thought the same thing so uh so she gets arrested and, and they're both martial arts experts uh, apparently yeah. yes uh she gets arrested um she the, we the whole truth serum thing um uh, the orc called Cosmo that Book stole uh, from Solo's cargo from catches up to him, but then the Andorian and the Orion show up just in time with Burnham in tow, and uh, she punches him for stealing her stuff, and then they work together to escape after stealing some dilithium. And we have the sequence of them using a personal transporter device. Now they have personal transporters now, 
jumping through through right. the, the locations yeah. on the planet as they're being followed. And they are murdering these guards left and right as yes. they come through. They are, they are disintegrating. There is no compunction. Got, he's got these Mega Man style hand cannons that they're blasting people with. There is no stun setting. I, I, those hand cannons, I understand the desire to change the design, you know, so it doesn't look like a standard phaser after a thousand years. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Those things would be hard to aim, and and they look kind of yeah yeah. I don't. I, they look kind of dumb to me. <laughs> they do. Um, <laughs> and but uh, you know, I, I I like how in general that they tried to think. Okay, how could we make the technology more futuristic? Here mm-hmm. we've got lots of utility fog, which is a kind of programmable matter made of nanites that can, can reshape into whatever you want. So it could be a bed, or it can be a desk, or it can be whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. I like how they've got the personal transporters because we saw those. I mean, Data had one mm-hmm. right when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now those have become standard. They have a different kind of interface that apparently is also it looks really impractical, but cool. <laughs> um, and but it involves like nanotechnology jumping up to meet your fingers or something. And so they did a good job overall, but I didn't like the arm phaser design. Um, What they because technology drives towards the more efficient and precise and those things look less. Right. What I would expect after a thousand years is a heads up display um, in front of your eyes and where you look at. You've got like a floating cloud of little probes around you or something <laughs> where you look at and blink. That's where the beams go. Yes. Yeah, I, I was thinking like I was thinking like a Google like you remember Google Glass when they tried to bring that out where it was just a little you know piece of glass front <laughs> and then the, the the phaser is attached to that. There you go. That could also work. Yeah. So, yeah. but I I would tend to put them around me though, like multiple little probes surrounding me so that it could aim in any direction and i wouldn't necessarily have to turn my head i would be able to control you know like scrolling by swishing my eyes back and forth so i could actually see behind me and fire behind me that's that's how about a uh, an arrow that you can whistle to control oh wait that's guardians of the galaxy (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) that doesn't that's not impractical at all so uh there is it is kind of right so these these phasers whatever they are uh disintegrate you Except when they just graze your arm, uh, by the way, apparently. Uh, yeah. So they get away in a running transporter firefight. And uh, they essentially they're, they're, they get away, or they think, by jumping off a cliff and materializing underwater. Because uh, like, apparently like dogs, they can't follow them underwater. They can't track them underwater. Um, and I, li- I like how, by the way, that Burnham is high as a kite during all of yeah. this and she's still able to fight and function and even slug book repeatedly for <laughs> yeah. uh, he got a few hits out of it yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah there's that scene from the trailer where she laughs maniacally at you know whatever something cool he does with a with a device yeah. knocking everybody over I, I, I did like that one all right well I, lo- I love the you know where they're they're pinned down and she goes well i'm, I'm sorry i broke your nose are you just saying that because you think you might die yep <laughs> yes. being very truthful yeah and then she keeps talking about how she's reflexively supportive uh and is that a problem is, is that a problem to me do i have is, is that bad that i'm very reflexively supportive which i think is, <laughs> is funny uh at so, one point she says okay i'm done being reflexively supportive now <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> so after they've escaped they're they're by the, the that water that they fell into, and she's got this cut in her arm. And Book 
manages to, he uses some kind of prayer. So he's not ex- exactly human or maybe he's an augmented human, but he sort of does this prayer incantation that makes a plant come up out of the water, grow out of the water. That sort of. It also makes his forehead light up. Yes. He's yep. got some uh, forehead lights and it, he use it's sort of like an aloe, the sort of thing that yep. he uses and applies it to the wound. It's got healing properties. So yeah, he's, except it, unlike <laughs> it's, it's different than aloe vera. It's not soothing at all. It's like got alcohol in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like salt and alcohol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, they, uh, they get back to his ship and that's where they're surrounded again by the Orion, his Andorian partner and some guards among whom is a Lorian. So a Lor- yeah. Lorian's mm-hmm. is the race that mourn from deep space nine is, I mean, it could right. be Morn. I mean, how, we don't know how old it looked just like get. him. It just looked like just looked like him. <laughs> if that's your head cannon, okay. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> he survived, so I'm going to say that's Morn. Uh, so they uh, they're captured. Uh, he's forced to give an access code to the ship, which is sticky. <laughs> I like I like that he goes. Really? Hey, on your ship, you can figure out what your access code is. <laughs> like this is the, like yeah. that's the one I chose. Deal with it. Uh, well, he's got a cat named Grudge, and uh, access code is Sticky. Yeah. yeah, it is a fairly easy hack for Sticky. So, right. it, you know, even today, that would be considered too weak as, as a password. <laughs> right. Uh, and so they, <laughs> they open up the cargo hold, and that's where his cargo is. And it turns out it's a something called a trance worm that mm-hmm. uh, is... It's, it's a giant manatee slug crab. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is apparently endangered, but is also apparently uh, uh, edible, a I guess. A delicacy. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it comes out, and their book tells Burnham, close your eyes, I guess, so they're not entranced. <sighs> this makes no sense. <laughs> um, right. The He tells Book to close her eyes, and then he closes his eyes, and... Okay. Um, I read, and they. This is really not well written because we yeah. never get a clear implication of what's with the eye closing. Mm-hmm. Because the, when they interact with it, they're inconsistent. Sometimes they've got their eyes open. Sometimes they've got their eyes yep. closed. I thought it, it, my first thought was, okay, we need to close our eyes because it's going to unleash some kind of blinding attack. Right. And so right. we need our eyes closed for that. But it didn't do that. Instead, it just came out and started eating people. Yeah. And it's like, so is the close your eyes thing a signal? Don't eat me that we've arranged with it or what? And then later they just call it a trance worm, but they never explain what the trance is. Mm-hmm. So on memory alpha, there's a theory that the that it puts you in a trance if you got your eyes open. Right. But if you got your eyes closed and that's not a don't eat me signal as you, if you're just standing there with your eyes closed you don't have to be in a trance it'll eat you anyway <laughs> right. yeah so um I was going to say, because, I mean, and like you said, Jimmy, they're inconsistent because they, they close their eyes, it starts attacking, and then they're sitting there watching it attack everything. <laughs> so there is a very subtle special effect where the the bad guys, you see a slight, like, blue in their eyes, blue reflection, which is like the blue of the Transforms, uh, color, some mm, of its coloring. I can watch. I miss that. It's really subtle. And, well, and then the the, the topper is it. It yeah, so up, the idea is it it puts you in a trance and then eats you yeah. while you're in the trance. The topper right. is that it eats Burnham anyway, sort of. Yeah. Uh, and and I, the thing that kind of bugged me is when it ate the 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 Orion and the Andorian, it it chomped them in a gross way. 
and bits went everywhere. But when it ate Burnham, it apparently wanted to swallow her whole. I guess she was a smaller delicacy. This was like a Men in Black type scene where it yeah. just all of a sudden, boom, she was in there. It was kind of a, I think, play. This is like they're trying to play this for comedy. I, 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 oh, I felt it was, was that what you got? Okay, uh, yeah, but so that it, so that she could be spit out, land on the ground, covered in a transform saliva, and say, mm-hmm. "This was not how I expected my day to turn out." You know, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, supposed to be a humorous scene. It was, it was cute. I mean, it was, you, of course, you had that effect of her flying out of the worm as the worm belched her out. Yeah. But yeah. Other than that, you know, I was, I, I thought this was one of the weaker parts of the episode because of how confusing it was. Yeah. It was yeah. just not well thought, thought through. Exactly. The, the final act of the, of the, the show, they, they're on book ship. He reveals that what he does is he goes around. And it saves endangered species and brings them to mm-hmm. a planet called Sanctuary Four. That's where that's what he he does. Is he saves, but because there's no one around, the Federation is no longer there to enforce the Endangered Species Act, which apparently still exists 500 years in the future, yep. but has been uh, enacted by the Federation. Yeah, so he's apparently from a family of hunters, but right. occasionally some in his family line, instead of. And I guess they're really good hunters, but uh, mm-hmm. because they're like they're linked to nature somehow. But in in occasionally there's a mutation in his family line or the right combination of recessive genes come up that you're an empath mm-hmm. with nature. And that's what he is, which is why you can sweet talk the magic aloe alcohol plant and also right. sweet talk the worm into spitting up burnum and stuff like that. And so um, he's a. He's a rogue in his family. He's not welcome among the hunters because he's a bleeding heart liberal. Right. right. And by the way, it's Molly, the, the transworm. Molly. The, the, yeah. the worm's name is Molly. And we did see the uh, Endangered Species Act with the Federation back with the Gormagander. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Because right. that's why they brought it on board in the first place was because it was under uh, the Endangered Species Act and they had to get it to the Gormagander Sanctuary. That's right. That's planet, right. wherever that is. Yeah. Burnham now, uh, it tries to use books subspace transceiver to contact discovery but uh was unable to one thing they mentioned too is he says i've opened up all the remaining subspace channels so it it sounds like you know one of the effects of the burn was to do damage to subspace as well right or at least the channels that they use to communicate via subspace yeah also there have been other problems like uh the gorn apparently tried creating a wormhole and burned out two light years of subspace uh, right, right 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 uh so it and it so he does he offers to take her to some to someone who can help her look for the discovery uh it's a courier waypoint so the couriers use it uh that used to be a federation subspace relay it, it's all you know like everything else apparently is all damaged and and got debris of ships around it and, and there's another civil war reenactor there yeah yeah yep. it's the guy from the beginning of the episode who as she enters his office says welcome to starfleet how may i help you uh what's the nature of your emergency no <laughs> yeah. how may I help you? <laughs> that uh, would have been great yeah and yeah. He, <laughs> you know she reveals i'm a you know starfleet officer and he, he so he's offers to help her there's no signal from discovery but he tells her well you know but that's because i'm cut off from other sectors uh there's no way you know, to tell, I forget how many sectors or 600 light years, I guess. It's like 30. Yeah. Sectors. Yeah. 30 sectors cover 600 light years. He says he's got two Federation signals from ships in that area. So only two, two Federation ships left. So there is some kind of um, runt Federation left of some sort. 
But um, well, and he even he even says he doesn't know how much of the Federation exists outside of his right thirty sectors because he's never he's basically he grew up and stayed on that that station as his father and his grandfather did. Yeah, and that's a little problematic because if he's got communication with some Federation ships, okay, let's link up and share data and make a new Federation Wikipedia so we're all <laughs> clued in on what's yeah. going on that we can't directly see with our own sensors. Right, right. I, I mean, I suppose, again, if we would use the Roman Empire analogy, it's like the the regional governor in Londinium who's been cut off from mm-hmm. Rome after Rome fell or whatever and, you know, that sort of thing. Um but there's no signal from discovery, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It's just could be far away or they point out could still be in the wormhole to appear tomorrow or in a thousand years. So uh, we, yep. we kind of have this suspension here, this, uh, this this tension that we have to carry with. Yeah. Till next episode. Right. So the mm-hmm. the, the man says, uh, so um, Sahil tells Burnham that he's not a commissioned officer in Starfleet because, the, you know, like his father and his grandfather uh, there was no one to commission him, and he's been waiting for 40 years. Apparently, it's kind of like you can't baptize yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's waited for 40 years for someone to walk through that door to tell him he hasn't been waiting in vain and to hang the flag up because only a commissioned officer in the in the Starfleet can hang the flag. Unlike in America, anybody can hang an American flag. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Burnham instead walks up to him and says in a sexy manner, are you human? And then a couple of Cylons walk through the door. <laughs> and, and <laughs> That's a different show. <laughs> yeah. So he tells her, you know, I've been waiting in hope and that today that hope is you, which is where we get our yep. title of the episode. She gives him a field commission as acting communications chief since she's the highest ranking Starfleet officer in 600 that light years, she, apparently. she knows about. That she you know? knows about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we end with the line, hope is a powerful thing, and sometimes it's the only thing. Uh, and that's where we end. Oh, also, she, he gets to display his flag. Right. Because there's he's got this Federation flag, and for ridiculous reasons, only a Federation officer can unfurl it. Right. And it's like, really? If you have... Father Corey, can only a commissioned member of the United <laughs> States military unfurl an American flag? I've never heard about that. I, I would say probably on a you know a military installation, but uh, yeah, other okay. than that, well, maybe. Yeah, maybe the number of people the number of people around here with American flags flying out of the back of their pickup trucks. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It seemed a bit thin reasoning there, but maybe that's just his way of hoping, holding out hope or something. I don't know, but uh, we'll mm-hmm. see. So uh, and that's where we end. We we don't get we don't even get much in the way of uh, we don't we don't get any uh, coming this season or anything like that. We, we, there is the trailer um, that we already saw. Yeah, we did. No, we yeah. did. Oh, you, oh there I, was a coming this season. <laughs> yep. I yep. guess I didn't. That was my, my, the one I saw. Did <laughs> I guess I, I ended the credit before the uh, the, the the part before the, the credits. Yeah. I guess it, it turns out. Yeah, the next episode probably we're going to see uh, Discovery show up based on. The change in uh, her ha- in uh, Burnham's hairstyle. We're going to have a period mm-hmm. of time where she's living in the thirty one hundreds before thirty one eighty eight. Yeah, before Discovery shows up. So for some some length of time, there was basically an interview. Um, I think it was with Jonathan Frakes, uh, but basically saying that this episode is focusing on Burnham. Next episode is going to focus on Discovery. How Discovery came out of the wormhole, uh, and then the third episode is where they get merged. Where oh, the yeah, two okay. come together. That'll be and then, then we have the last 10 episodes of the season of Discovery doing the Discovery things, 
saving the Federation again and whatever else. Saving and they do, and from the <laughs> overall dialogue, they do indicate they're going to be investigating the burn, which, frankly, I would have been fine with them leaving that a mystery. But they're mm-hmm. not gonna. Yeah, something something caused the burn, and therefore they're going to. And that'll probably be connected to how the Federation will be reestablished or something. Right, there'll be a a new Federation after new Foundation. Um, one bit of news is that it's already been announced that they are going to do a season four. So there is a season four mm-hmm. coming. So that's one one piece of good news. Uh, Father Corey, anything left to say about this episode? Uh, only thing is, you know, we mentioned the quantum slip stream, dro- slip stream drive that was, you know, that does come from Voyager's timeless episode. Mm-hmm. And of course, they've obviously perfected it so that they're not crashing the, the ships into an icy planet and <laughs> having to go back in time and fix the problem. Right, right, right. So that's a good thing to see. Yep. Jimmy? Uh, a few little notes. I like the attention. There's a lot to like visually in this, mm-hmm. um, even down to little details that they didn't have to do. Like when Burnham first crashes on the planet Heim, we get this close up as she's crashing of these of this little drama involving two insects mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. one one bug eats another bug and then looks up to see her crashing. Yeah. And it's it's nice. They didn't have to do that, but they've got the budget for it. And they're, it's nice attention to detail. Then uh, she and Book have to walk across these really cool blobby green geological landforms that look real. Yeah, and I think are real. Um, yeah. I think they just filmed it in an exotic location, but they look really cool. It adds visual interest. Uh, I like when she finally gets aboard Book's ship. Uh, he picks up his cat, which is enormous, and she says, "You have a very large cat." <laughs> and and I I like that in part because I when I was growing up I had a very large cat. Friends would compare it to like a cat the Flintstones would own. Yeah, um, <laughs> only mine looked different. Mine was yeah. a big, big orange male. I think it was um, a mean yeah. coon cat. In fact, that's what he has. They're big. A what mean coon oh, yeah. cat? It's a it's okay. a particular variety. But yes, they were big cats. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I didn't like, but fortunately it went by very briefly and a lot of people I think would even miss it when he's talking about why they need to go to the mercantile to, uh, pick up Jane and wash, um, (laughs) and get the dilithium. Um, it's, uh, he says I'm space broke (sighs) and it goes by so fast unless you're really following the dialogue, you don't have a chance to register that he just uttered the phrase space broke. <laughs> yep. Please not um, please space everything. Yeah. yeah. I, I, only, I only caught that. I only caught that because I turned the, the, uh, the transcript on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The closed captioning on. And it's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last, last. And, and I can headcanon that to like, okay, he means I'm broke as far as what it would take to get us into space. Right. Or something. It's not like I don't have any credits. Um, but I don't have what I need to get us dilithium. Um, also, after he sweet talked the magic plant um, and she put this goop on her arm to disinfect it, uh, he gives her his handkerchief. And sh- and this is something we have not seen like before in Star Trek yeah. in maybe ever. A handkerchief? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No one ever has to blow their nose on Star Trek. <laughs> and and so she looks at him and kind of laughs. It's like, you carry a handkerchief? And he says, a man's got to blow his nose just as she's wrapping it on her arm. Um, yeah. But I like that because I have allergies and uh, constantly. Mm-hmm. And the only way for me to deal with that is to carry handkerchiefs um so it's like they are a very practical solution and yeah in a post-apocalyptic post-burn age 
people would definitely use handkerchiefs. A gentleman yep. always carries two handkerchiefs, one for himself to use and one to hand to a lady. I always oh. carry two, but not for exactly the same reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to guess maybe Book is doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, so uh, it turns out that the location shooting was in Iceland because Iceland oh, sure. is it, it, the Game of Thrones film. Blobby, yeah. blobby green things on the ground. It does. It does. Yeah. It, yeah all, it, all the outdoor location shooting was Iceland because it's got. I mean, it was cool. Beautiful aliens. scenery. They picked some absolutely beautiful spots to shoot. Yeah. At. Amazing. I mean, really. Amazing. Uh I would say one of the things that, that struck me this, I watched it twice on the second watch. It went by very fast. This was a mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. fast paced episode. Uh, I was a little, in fact, a little surprised to like, it was, wow, it's over already. It just goes like that, yeah. especially with that, that long action sequence uh, in the middle there. For me, that was one of the less interesting parts because of the standard Jimmy Aiken rule. Nothing yeah. interesting will happen until with the plot until the action sequence is over. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I like Book as a character. I think he's interesting. He's not. I mean, he's a bit he's a bit of tropes and cliches, but I think it could be interesting to see him. He's not standard Starfleet. Um, he's got a, a bit of a sense of humor. Um, I hope it doesn't just become standard romance i mean she's still got ash tyler out there somewhere which there's still some sort of maybe he's maybe. back in the 23rd century doing section 31 stuff that's true that's true so yeah well i hope it doesn't just become standard romance thing and that they re- they maintain just a partnership of some sort that would be right. more interesting to me again as i said at the beginning i'm i like this burnham a lot more than the mm-hmm. season one especially and uh, uh, it'll be a question how much of that do they let her keep Yes. Once, right. You know, once she's off the stuff by the by the end. Of, well, by the end of the episode, she was pretty clear of it and she was still yeah. more fun. Um, by the end of season two, she had been good to loosen up. So I think it's a we're seeing a natural progression um, mm-hmm. uh, through things. Yes. So that, I'm looking forward to seeing where we go from here. Um, and I, I'm excited that they've kept uh, Giorgio, uh, Emperor Giorgio, mm-hmm. that yep. is with them. So somehow she's going to get back, I guess, uh, right. to the 20 to 20, whatever second century. Um, but I just love her as a agent of chaos in the midst of mm-hmm. the Starfleet. Yep. I was going to say something and I'm not going to say it, but Starfleet's tightness. So shall we say, so yep. uh, mm-hmm. that's good. All right. Uh, anything left to say about this? I, I think we've said it all. No. We're, Next week, putting getting the getting the band back together, part two. <laughs> That's right. Yep. All right. So exactly. we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Mike M, Brett, John M, Wendy B, and Ryan C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of That Hope Is You Part 1? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we will be discussing, well, it's actually called Far From Home, but getting the band back together Part 2. Until then, (laughs) Father Corey Stiga, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, whatever you do, don't give the truth theorem to Tilly. <laughs>